Jesus. Woo. Everybody good? See some smiles? That's good. Thank you, Jesus. Did you meet somebody new? There's a few new faces this morning. I was able to meet some of them in the cafeteria before church started. Glad you're here with us today. And uh, we're going to look to the Word of God today and, and share a little bit what he's been speaking to my heart. And um, everybody finding a seat okay and everything? Everybody got room? It's good to see pretty full house. I just feel like we should do a testimony or two. Brother Lou, how about you share a quick testimony? I think I missed you last week. I was going to ask you for a testimony, and I, I didn't. I'm Brother Lou. <laughs> and I just want to give testimony that I was once lost. Amen. I thought I knew God, but I didn't. But then in, I was born again in 1979. The Holy Spirit came into my heart. But, you know, all the way home from where the person witnessed to me, I, I, it was hard to me believe that God, the God he described, could forgive me for all I had done all those years. And it kept coming to my mind, God, is it really true what Gordon said, that regardless of what I've done, you forgive me, you love me and forgive me? And that night I lay in bed, and I couldn't sleep. I was still thinking. And I called out again, and I said, Lord, if you really love me and you forgive me all of my sins, please give me a sign. And brothers and sisters, immediately, waves started going down through my body and down through my body from my head down to my toes, just going down through my body. And I don't know how long they kept going down through. And all of a sudden, they stopped. And I knew that God had given me a sign. My son, I love you, and I forgive you for all you've done. And from that day on, I started to serve, started to serve the Lord. And I knew without a question of a doubt. And that goes for everybody. We, I think we all, at some time or another, wonder how God in all his love and mercy could have such love and mercy on us but he loves us beyond anything we can imagine. And that's why you are here this morning, to let him know that we love him back. Yes. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 I was asking him to share a testimony about the doctor appointment, the one you were so excited about, about how your heart doctor's report came back. But the one you shared was much better. <laughs> Much better. Well, I went to the doctor. Yeah, it was like a week and a half ago. Oh. <laughs> well, I never heard a doctor use the word fantastic before. But I went to the, I'm 92 years old, and I went to the doctor to have my, a checkup, and he checked me all over, and he said, Blue, fantastic. Fantastic for '92, fantastic, <laughs> and so I knew. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Is there somebody else that just wanted to testify? Something happened this week, something fresh that's just going on where you can point to and say God has been good to you and just blessed you. Not a not a big. It doesn't need to be a big uh, explanation. Just an event. Something happened. It's fine if not, but I just want to give you an opportunity. Oh, hold on. We've got. He beat you to it. You couldn't see him because he was behind you, but. Hi, how are you? Hey. Crawford. This is like my sixth week here in a row. Wouldn't miss it in the world. I just drove all the way here, like three hours from here to be here. Um, and um, I had a coworker. I found out he had a brain tumor like last week, and now he passed away yesterday. And he's like seven years old, but. Uh, he was out there every day with us. He uh, did lighting and gaffing for movies in the Hudson Valley, and he was a huge part of the community, and I know just God took him. It was his time, and there's nothing we can do about it, and just all praise to God because that's God's will, and it's perfect, and that's all. Mm. That's it. Thank you. 
I'll just take an opportunity there to just quickly expound on that. I used to love the way the pastor who mentored me in ministry, Pastor Von Gerald, would say it. He said, God doesn't take people, he receives them. And so the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We live in the world full of sin and the effects of sin. And um, he's hard at work. The enemy's hard at work. He's stealing, he's killing, and he's destroying. Our mortality comes from sin. We were designed to be immortals, and sin came in. And the, the warning given to Adam and Eve was, the day that you eat of this tree, you'll die. That's what God had warned them. And the devil questioned, he's like, are you sure God said you'll surely die? Maybe he meant something else. And sure enough, they eat of the tree and they become mortal. Sin has a corrupting effect on human existence. And, um, and so we die because sin has entered this world that we live in. And mortality entered with it. But thanks be to God who through Jesus Christ has promised us a new law that we live under for those of us who believe. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Not the law of sin and death that we're born under, but the one we're born again under is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And so that's why we get excited and we can celebrate and we can even acknowledge it was this person's time, their days were numbered, and it was time for them to be received by the Father. It's just, it's, um, it's an important, it seems small, but sometimes it's important that we don't just, you know, I hear people say, oh, God took them, he wanted to be with them. He was going to be with them forever anyway. It was that the results of sin were manifested to the point where their life was over, and he received them now into the place that Christ has prepared for them through what he did on the cross. And so just, uh, I'm encouraged this morning, I, I was glad to sing a couple of the songs that we sang. I'm a big delirious, um, is it okay to be a worship fan? Is that okay? A advocate, uh, lover of their music? Okay. Delirious fan, might as well be, say what it is. We've always been delirious fans. We're the best concert you can go to for, well, maybe Toby Mac is, is up in there too someplace. Have you ever been to a Toby Mac concert? Christian artist is pretty, uh, he's up there. He's amazing what he can pull off. But I just, um, I'm blessed by what the Lord's been doing. I was looking back at some of my notes from last, last week, looking through how we started this idea of the phases of life and looked into Peter to see what Peter had to say about the word is that, that essence of life that we go to the word of God and we grow from our investment and our ingesting the word of God through reading it, through praying it, through singing it, however it is that we do it. But the word of God is the nourishment that our spirit needs. And we talked about how the first phase of life was primarily based on ability. What can you do? Kids get together, they compare what they can do compared to what the other kids can do. You know, what equipment do you have? Oh, my bike does this and my bike does that. And it's just all comparative about ability and what you can do, what your parents maybe will let you do. This permission and this ability base, it's all kind of this part of life where it's governed and overseen uh, by parents or by folks who are caregivers and guardians in our life. And so it's, it's the first phase of life, life where we just strive for the next ability. You can do it this good, but you can't wait until you can do it the next bit better. You can you know, shoot foul shots like nothing, but you can't wait for the day that you can dunk that ball. And you work hard to get to that point where you, you just... You, it's just that idea of life is all about getting to the next level of ability. And then, because we've worked so hard at it, we get into, I don't know, some people say you're an adult at 18, back in way before uh, our current generation, 14, 15, in the Jewish tradition, 14, you're ready to be a man. 18 usually is when, you know, you can join the military. In our culture, we kind of say 18 is the marker for when you reach adulthood. Some say 21. Others say it's somewhere in the 20s. Others say when it's, you have your first child. But there's all these markers that we choose to say when kind of the first phase of life of just, just struggling to have more ability is kind of over. And then there's this middle season of life where we get to live out uh, in these abilities that we've accumulated, not that we stop gaining them, but the, this, this massive addition of ability to our lives from not even being able to walk on our own, much less eat on our own. And you think about how much need a baby has or a newborn has compared to what you know, they reach 10, 11, 12 years old. They can maybe cook an egg in the pan. They, if they had to, they could survive on their own. And maybe if you stock the fridge for them and uh, provide a warm environment for them. You know, they probably burn the house down. But, um, you know, the potential is there for them to, to make it on their own. But then we get into this, this phase of life where we'd say we're, we're adulting. Um, and it's, it's uh, sometimes a bittersweet season. Sometimes it's not just a moment. It's over a bit of time where you realize, like, 
I try to do the stuff that I did when I was just, you know, a kid, and it just doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't work out this, the way. It doesn't have the same reward because we're designed to grow up and to mature, reproduce, and start the process over again, and then we move into the latter years, which I'll try not to talk about this, this week too much. We'll just focus on the middle years and look at what Peter has to say about um, some of the wisdom we can gain there. Uh, but, I mean, just to be, to be uh, honest, does this, does this flannel okay? It's, it's new. I just, I just got it. All right. I mean, you, you could say no if you didn't like it. I wouldn't be offended. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit beyond that. But it happened to me this week where I don't know that I've bought a piece of clothing from Walmart. Not to judge anybody that does that. I mean, that's fine. It's great that you do that. I'm just saying, I, if you knew me when I was in my teens and early 20s, I was fashionista. Is that what it's called? Fashionista? Whatever. whatever. I didn't know what I, what I was called. I just knew that you know, it had to have the right label on it, had to be brand name. You paid three times what it was actually worth just so you could compare with, hey, I've got this. And um, it's, a, it's an age thing. It's part of the, the, the first phase of life, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm in Walmart. I'm walking by with my five-year-old over there getting something and just happened to look to the side. And I thought, wow, those flannels are really good looking. And I remember when you're, when you're younger, you go to Walmart with your parents and they're looking like, oh, these are cool. And you're like, where'd you get it? And you look, you just look for the tag if you get a gift. And it's like, oh, they came from Walmart. Like, it can't be very good. If you're in a style kind of not judging, you hope you're hearing what I'm saying. <laughs> just say from where I came from. And I'm thinking, man, that, those are some sharp looking clothes. So I think I'm definitely, I'm in the middle piece of my life without a, without a doubt when when Walmart flannels look better than the ones at Kohl's or, I guess that's probably not too fashionista either, right? Like, when we used to have a mall in town, you know, there were stores that really, you know, were, you know, like New York City level. Yeah, Macy's and some of the other ones. Anyway, I think we're, we're not off the tracks, but we're up on, on two, we're on one side of wheels. <laughs> um, so we, so we come into the middle area of life, and, and there's a different set of, of realities that we have to learn about and we have to be willing to embrace because we've invested so much in these abilities and maybe hopefully even gone to school. Uh, I graduated from college. I have a bachelor's degree uh, in, in science, and I'm all for education. It's better if you're trained by people that believe in God at least and understand he's the creator and designer of this universe that we get to live in. Um, but either way, it's academia, it's something that it, it strengthens your mind, your, your, your intellect is grown, your, your database of what you know and how to do things and how to process information, it increases, it grows, it's all good. But then we come to the middle part of life where it's time to use that stuff. It's time to put it to use, it's time to, to exercise it, and yes, again, continue to grow, continue to add, but it's not the same as in the beginning. And what easily happens in the middle of, of life, and I think we can all relate to this, um, is that it's no longer what your ability allows you to do because you have a lot of abilities. you got a lot of skills you've accumulated. There's maybe hobbies that you've gotten good at. There's, there's um, types of activities that you, at that, in your 30s, let's say, like say late 20s in the 30s, someplace in there, you're into this adult body and you can do really great stuff. You've worked out, maybe you've trained and you can hike mountains and you can do great feats. You can achieve things that when you were a kid you couldn't do because your abilities have increased. And so it's with, with all those abilities we have, it's easy to get to a place where all of a sudden there's just so many things you want to do and so much to be done, and you realize it's not your parents that govern your life anymore, it's your planner, calendar, whatever, I don't know what you call it. Some people call it a daytime or a planner. It's, it's time. All of a sudden, time becomes the limiting reactant in your life. The limiting part of life suddenly becomes, you have all this ability to do, hopefully you've got a, you know, a good job at some point in this, in this middle part of your life, you're earning good money, stuff that when you were a teenager you couldn't dream of earning, now maybe two or three times what you earned then, you're earning it and you're accumulating this ability to, and this resource pool, and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, there's not enough time to do everything that I want to do. I mean, how many people with holidays and shopping and everything, you think, man, if there's just a few more hours in the day, isn't that something you hear people say all the time? It's like, if I just need another hour or two a day, don't worry. We would stuff that full of stuff because we have so much ability to fill uh, any schedule. We could have 30 hours in a day. It wouldn't solve the problem. We would fill it with something because we have all this ability. We, we fought through the first phase to accumulate, and now we just don't have enough time to use it all. And then you throw children into the mix. You throw, like, you know, moving and buying a new home and all these other parts of life that just become part of this middle area, all of a sudden you realize your, your life is governed not by your parents saying, yes, you can or can't do this. It's governed by this thing called time. 
It can become a time vacuum where all of a sudden you, you look at the things that you need to get, you think you need to get done. A lot of things we think we need to get done. Maybe we don't. Maybe we do. But I'm just saying we have to be careful in here. But there's this time limitation on all of our lives. And we suddenly hit this wall with all this gifting and ability and training where there's only a certain amount of time in every day, in every week, in every year to get done what we need to accomplish in our life. And it's in this season of life where I feel like, I like to say I'm in the middle of it. I am just turned 50 this year, so let's believe that I'm just in the middle of, of the middle section of my life, but there's a good possibility I'm on the, the farther advanced side of that middle uh, than I was certainly 10 years ago. And you begin to realize, you begin to, you know, that those advertisements are so funny, like we can't keep you from becoming your parents because you start thinking and saying things like what your parents, you know, say, like, you know, there's just not enough hours in the day and money doesn't grow on trees and all these, these kinds of things that we just they begin to say that we thought when our parents did it was just so cheesy and didn't really have much wisdom in our estimation attached to it. Um, but how often do we have to say when we hear of an opportunity, whether it's a, an event or something you're invited to, you have to say, let me check with my schedule. Right? Let me check. Let me make sure I don't already have. And it's, it's, I'm not, it's not bad. I'm just saying this is the reality that in the middle we have to live with. We have to process this. And we get to govern with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit how it is that we fill up those hours in the middle. Because if we're not intentional about it, there's always going to be something to fill up your day. There's always something to fill up my day. And most of it's really good stuff. But is it the stuff that the Lord wants us to fill our day with? I know so many folks, like, I just don't have time to, to go and work out, but they have time to be on Netflix for multiple hours per day. Do the math. There was time there to not only get ready to go to the gym, go to the gym, clean up from the gym, and still sit down and probably have half an hour left to watch something on TV. It's amazing how it's, I'm just using that as a silly example because I used to go to the gym and I haven't since 2020, so I can pick on myself in that regard. Um, <laughs> I look forward to getting back. I just can't find the time. I can't, I can't believe I just walked myself down that rabbit hole. That was bad. Just right down it. You didn't save me. You were laughing at me, hon. Wow. I can feel the, I can feel the face warming up on that one. Woo. How's that? <laughs> What's your schedule allows? Let me check with my schedule. Let me check with my wife, right? She keeps my schedule. That was an excuse I, or um, sorry, did I just let, I didn't say that out loud. Did I? That was a reason that I often have used over years of ministry. Let me check with my wife. She keeps the calendar. Um, and everybody knows it's on your phone, right? All right. So if somebody tells you that, just know they probably, they probably have their own timer on their phone. Um, but so time becomes this governing force over our lives and, and, uh, we can, you know, talk about how, Time just flies by, and I catch myself saying this, you know, it just seems like yesterday. You see a family come, and their kid, the last time you knew they were down here, now they're a teenager, and you're like, man, it just seems like yesterday. And you say these things because you realize time is somehow in our face. All of a sudden, when our grandparents used to say these things about time, it just felt like yesterday. I was just getting on the bus to go to school, but they're 80 years old, and they're in a rocking chair, and you think, yeah, you, don't you, don't, you just assume they don't keep very good track of time, but you realize somewhere's in this middle, and if you're on the earlier side of this, maybe this message is mostly for you. Begin to consider, we'll read some scriptures too, I won't just ramble on indefinitely, but we'll read some scriptures too about this reality that we have a part to play in what fills the time of our life, our lifetime. We have a very key role, and it's important that we look to scripture because it's the word that keeps us on track, and we're going to do that, but... Let's face it, we sacrifice a lot of time and a lot of money in the earlier part of our life to invest into these abilities that we acquire. And it's very easy for these abilities to become the dominating um, controller of our life. And next thing you know, we don't have time to really do the things that we should. One of the things I want to highlight before I move on, and then we'll read our first scripture in Proverbs 22 if you want to start turning to it. 22 verse 7. One of the things we have to be so careful about, and I just felt this as I was, maybe this is a... Uh, not primarily in flow with what I'm trying to share, but it's just something about this middle part of life, and it often doesn't start later in this middle season of life, but it starts in the earlier part of it, maybe even in the late part of your first phase in your 20s someplace, but this idea called debt creeps in, because it's amazing how lenders will start to give opportunity to people to borrow money 
right when they are, they're about to start into this middle adulting phase of life where they're hopefully going to have enough that they don't want to lose, that they'll keep working harder to maintain what they're borrowing from them, to maintain the payments, if you understand what I'm saying. And I want to read Proverbs 22.7, and I don't think we've ever seen a culture like we have here in the West where we're the most wealthy, we have the most opportunity, and yet we have the most debt. It's an incredible reality, and it's proof that it's actually that we don't need so much stuff, it's that we think we do. Again, Pastor Vaughn had some powerful messages about the doctrine of lack and the voice of lack that is preached from every television that you can find this time of year. Between every show that you're watching, every time it goes to a break, they're preaching at you the message of you don't have this, but you need it. Whether it's the brand new vehicle or whether it's the clothes, whatever it is, you lack something. And the beautiful thing about being believers in Christ is that we don't lack anything. We have all things that pertain to this life that we need in Christ Jesus, the things that really matter. But in Proverbs 22, 7, it says this, and it's very simple. It's just a simple one-liner. It says, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. The borrow, in the NIV, it says the borrower is slave to the lender. These big lending world banks and different entities understand that if, if you owe them back what you've already taken and spent, they have control over your life. They actually have control over your schedule because how many people say, oh, I'm going to go to work now? No. Say, I have to go to work now. Think about it. How many times, this, maybe you're guilty of it too. I love what I do. I don't have to go to work. I go and I work and I do what I need to do because I love, I'm called to do it. I'm supposed to do it. I don't think, oh, I have to go and visit someone right now. No, I'm going to visit someone right now. That's what a pastor gets to do. I love it. It's not a burden. It's something that in, it encourages my heart. It's, what I'm, it's my purpose. And yet, how many times do we hear the phrase, oh, I've, you know, we call it the grind. I have to start the grind, the daily grind. I have to go to work. Why do you have to go to work? Now, sometimes it's because you're providing for children and whatever, but a lot of times, if you're not careful in this middle part of life, it's because you are in debt. And you have to go to work because if you don't, you're going to lose your car or your house, depending on what, what schedule of debt you've already in. And I'm against debt. I have, I have mortgages. I believe that what you purchase should be purchased at a, at a price point where if you need to sell it tomorrow, you're zeroed out or you've done a little better for yourself. Don't borrow like credit card debt is kind of what I'm talking about when you're borrowing just to get, you know, the Air Jordans or whatever else that a stylistic kid thought he needed when he was younger. I haven't worn those in quite a while. In fact, I think the pair I had was a knockoff brand that I convinced myself was real um, <laughs> when I did have Air Jordans. No, but this is connected to borrowing, okay? Not against borrowing. Don't mishear me. Connected to that is this idea that this culture has allowed us whether through social media and the way that we can doctor our photographs and everything else. Again, I'm not going down a bunny, hole, bunny trail on that. Here's the point. What you look like often now is more important than what you can actually do. What you look like you can do is more important than what you can actually do. You think there's any truth in what I just said? You can look beautiful for the world to see. But how many people do that, but they don't feel beautiful? You can look accepted by the world because you have a friend list that's bigger than everybody else's, but a person can look into that same mirror and feel total loneliness. How do we know these things? Because suicide, depression, anti-anxiety medication, just trying to get people to feel happy. But if you look at their social media, you'd think they're the happiest people in the world. Why? We're allowed, we've allowed the culture the ability to show one thing, but to be something else. It's very dangerous. The psychology of it is way beyond my understanding, but I can promise you the, the danger of it is so severe that we're facing situations that we don't know how to correct. Other than Christ, we're not going to correct this, this wave of, of just meaningless loss of life that's happening in the young generation because there's no purpose in life that they can see. They've already put out the best them that they can find, and they still feel this loneliness. They still feel this emptiness. They still know that if I really had an emergency, is there someone I can pick up the phone and call who will help me, who will be a blessing to my life? They can put it on blast to a thousand followers, but will someone actually step to the plate and meet them in the point of their need? And the answer is most often no. 
And this is an issue that's not just going to go away. It's going to continue down this path until people get an understanding that we were designed for a purpose. And we've got to find that purpose in this middle part of our life. Hopefully you found it when you were in the first phase and you were trained into it and you grew into it. But in the middle, you've got to find your real purpose in life. And it's not just bigger and better and more. That leads down this path where you're just going to continue to do what makes you look a certain way, and yet you could have the look of it all and be so miserably in debt and so slave to the lenders that gave you that ability to look that way that without it, you really don't have much. You'd be shocked. I don't know if it'll ever happen. I wish it would because I lived both ways, and I think it was way better beforehand. I wish there was a way you could just black out. Maybe not the internet because people's lives depend on it in hospitals and stuff. But if you could just block out social media for a couple of months, the mayhem and the chaos that would happen would be terrible. But I could promise you on the other side of it, we'd get to some baseline reality where some people would come through with their head back on straight. With an actual grasp of reality, what really matters, where meat really comes from. <laughs> it's hunting season, sorry. I'm a hunter. If you're vegan, I'm terribly sorry. We'll talk afterwards privately. <laughs> I'll have a salad with you and some honey Dijon. Can we do honey? I don't even know. <sighs> Sorry, my brain's all over the place. Sheesh. I knew I should have had my wife preach today. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I want to go down that rabbit hole, but we won't. I mean, think about it. I know I had Air Jordans before I think I could even get both my feet off the ground at the same time. And you see people walking around with them. You can look the part and have the equipment and the gear and not be able to do what Air Jordans were designed for you to do, which is play basketball. And so I want to go look to the scripture beyond just Proverbs 22. Because this, this looking the part thing is really I don't know, it's disturbing to me because we're all tempted to do it. We're all told, right, when you go on your first date, put your best foot forward, right? And then what happens after that? Eventually, we, we let our guard down or we just be who we really are. And we hope that there's some real chemistry there because if not, the other person sees who we really are. And they're like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. But it's easy for a date. You can do it for just, you know, dinner. You can put a good veneer on, on, your, on your life for a minute. But can we live that way? It's not sustainable. And we're living in a culture that is increasingly going to be tested in what, what grit do you actually have to survive and to sustain yourself in hard times? Because there's not always going to be a camera watching you. There's not always going to be an applause from an invisible group of people. They're going to give you a bunch of likes or thumbs up or hearts or emojis or whatever else they're going to give you. They're not going to be available. Or we'll realize the hollowness of it and we'll start looking for the depth of actual relationship and commitment that matters in this life. But I don't know. I don't want to harp on this, but I, I put this here. I think this is funny, so I'm going to say it. There's a lot of uh, big bearded flannel shirt with Timberland hiking boots wearing young adults. That if you actually, I'm just reading what I wrote. I'm, usually I try to make it sound like I'm preaching it, but I'm just reading it. <laughs> I better start again. Ready? <laughs> it's not perfect grammar. Sorry. There's a whole lot of big bearded flannel shirt with Timberland hiking boots wearing young adults. That if you actually drop them off in the woods with matches in a sleeping bag, they'd burn their sleeping bag for heat and start crying. <laughs> I don't know when I wrote, when did I write that? <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm on the, like I said, the backside of the middle. Yeah, the bears would be thankful, but dot, 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 dot. Okay, there it is. I said that's what I, okay, four dots, five. All right. All right, the point is you can look the part and not be the part. Look happy, but be sad. Look beautiful, but feel ugly. Look rich and be poor just to keep up with the visual demands, keeping up with the Joneses. And so I want to look at Haggai verse one, um, chapter 1, verse 3. It's a scripture that a lot of times is used when talking about an offering message. And I don't know if you guys have noticed, but we don't do offering messages here at the church, and the Lord manages to provide for our needs. And I know that... We probably should provide teaching on giving. Um, if you don't know what tithing is, if you don't know what giving is, find out. Living a blessed life is the only way to go through this life. And um, we would, my wife and I would have no hope if we weren't faithful tithers. I know that for a fact because there's been times when we were really up against the wall. And we would continue to press through and continue to tithe and to give. 
uh, to the local church that we were a part of, wherever it was, and we would watch God miraculously. I mean, stuff like get a new house for like 25% of what it was worth, like stuff like that, not just little stuff like, oh, here's a little $20 I found on the sidewalk. You know, thank you, Lord. I know you're looking out for me. No, I'm talking about real life stuff. We would not be where we are if our lives were not blessed. And the way that you get blessed is by aligning yourself with the word of God and what it teaches about finances and resources. It, that's just how you get blessed. I'm sorry. I know Jesus, we could have theological discussion, but if obedience produces blessing, okay? That's just the very basic, it doesn't matter Old Testament, New Testament, obedience and following what God has set forth produces a blessing over your life, and it can be in different ways that it comes through, but what you sow, that is what you reap. If you sow financially, you will reap financially. If you sow time, you will reap time. If you sow, you fill in how you'd like to fill it in. But this scripture is often used for that. And um, we just believe that the Lord will put it on people's hearts to want to be generous and to give. And through that, he's been, he's been speaking to the people that really he wants to speak to who have ears to hear it. And so we just leave it at that. And we thank him for filling in and, uh, and blessing the families that are a part of our church who are faithful in, in understanding finances. And so in verse 3 of Haggai 1, it says, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses and for this temple to lie in ruins? This is back in in the Jewish nation when there was a physical place that was the spot where the Holy Spirit overshadowed the the altar that was there and there were sacrifices made. It It was a physical structure that the Lord is coming through the prophet and telling the people and challenging them in this way. He says, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. That's the first time that phrase appears. Consider your ways. Nothing will change in your life if you don't consider your ways. You're just going to do the same thing that's, that becomes natural to your daily life until you consider your ways. In other words, consider what you're doing. Consider what you're putting on your calendar. Consider it. Consider how you're living. Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put them into a bag that has holes in it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, he says it again, consider your ways. When the Lord's correcting our lives, it requires us, because we have a free will, we have to be willing to consider our life at any given moment and consider what we're doing with our life. It says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple. Again, this is a physical temple. This is something that, to the Lord, this is, the, this is what represents his presence within the people. He's like, this place is in ruins, yet you guys don't seem to notice that this is a problem. He says, go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple, that I might take pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, it, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that is in ruins while every one of you runs to his own house. So can you imagine the people of Israel, like, they all have their own homes. They've been blessed. God blessed them. They were his chosen people. The Jewish nation, were, they were known as God's people. And in the process of living their everyday lives, they, they didn't even notice that God's house, the one who blessed them, who had a temple that represented his presence among them, housed his presence among them, they didn't even, they were too busy to notice that, hey, this place has fallen down. It's shot, it's ruined. I mean, this place needs a roof, but it's not like ruined, you know, it's, it could use some improvement. But this isn't a message about a building fund, or it's not a message about um, restoring this building. This is a message that God is showing to a prophet about the, the significance of where do, where's my place in this? You guys all have a place, but where's my place? Where's my slot on the calendar? Where's, where's the spot where I fit into your everyday life? Because it doesn't seem like you've even noticed that you're not coming into this place of fellowship. And if you are, it's just it's, it's in ruins. Whatever ruins means, it's, it's been ruined. It's been destroyed. And then we're going to go to Peter because we're going through Peter, right? And I think it's, it's great timing the way that this is, this is matching with the verse that we're up to. We're in 1 Peter chapter 2. We're cruising right through. It's only been a couple of months and we're already into the second chapter of 1 Peter. Um, verse 4. First Peter 
chapter 2, verse 4. And so Peter's beginning to speak about the spiritual temple. Now remember, this, this verse 4 is coming right after we looked at the first verses that talks about how the Word of God produces growth. Just like a baby needs milk to grow, in the same way that we should, we should desire and go after the Word of God so that we would grow thereby. And so he starts at infancy stage, he's talking about growth, but then in verse 4, he begins to reveal the whole point of growth. Why would we need to grow? What's the reason for the growth? And it's, I believe it's because he's starting to share with us now what that reason is. In verse 4, he says, coming to him, capital H, coming to the Lord, as to a living stone. Okay, so it's calling the Lord a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Verse 5, you also then, as living stones. So it acknowledges Jesus is the living stone. Jesus is the, he's the, he's the rock of our salvation. He's, we'll keep reading. But he says in verse 5, he says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood for the purpose to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see the connect, you see the correlation between the Old Testament in Haggai talking about a natural temple and Jesus is revealing through Peter that we're, we're also, as Jesus was a living stone, we're living stones and we're being built up together into a spiritual house. Rocks were made to build things, to build buildings. You can't build a building out of one rock. Think about it. How do you know if you're inside or outside if there's just a rock in the middle of the yard? I mean, I guess the only thing you could know is if you're on the roof, because you can stand on top of the rock, right? But how, it's, a rock by itself is not a building. It's not a place. It's just a thing. But the heart of the Lord, and Peter's revealing this to us, is that he wants to build us up into a spiritual house. Now, first and foremost, we can go through the scriptures. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit individually. If the Holy Spirit has you've been born again, you've received Christ and forgiveness, the Holy Spirit now fills you. Paul reveals that he says, don't you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? He now dwells. The treasure of heaven can live inside an earthen vessel because we're three parts. We're body, soul, and spirit. Our spirit's born again. Holy Spirit comes in. The two become one. We are now born of above, and the Holy Spirit resides within the, the heart of the, whatever that place of us is, the spiritual eternal part. He's there. He lives there. He's residing in us. We're his temple. He's not intimidated by what he gets to live in. He's thankful that he has a vessel on earth to bring his presence just like in the Old Testament with the Israelites. And he says that, that the purpose for being a spiritual house is so that we would offer up spiritual sacrifices that will be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There in verse 6, he says, Therefore, it's also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. We already know who the elect and precious stone was. It's Jesus. He says it in verse 4. Elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, he's just a stone which the builders rejected. And yet he has become the chief cornerstone. When you're building a building and you're building it out of stones, you've got to pick a spot. You doesn't start, you don't put a stone in the middle and then build around it. You put a stone, you pick a corner, it's got to have four sides. So just pick a corner. The corner's not important, but you have to pick one. And from that corner stone, the rest of the building is already predetermined. When they set that stone, it had to be perfectly level. Every angle, every, every other aspect of the building had to be pre-thought out. Because once that stone was set, there was only one way to build the rest of the building. And if it was too far towards the edge of whatever, or you, it, the cornerstone set where the rest of the building had to be constructed and how it had to be constructed. And he's saying that Jesus is this cornerstone. He says, yes, the world rejected him, but to you who believe, he becomes precious. Why? Because he's, that, he's what we build our life around. Our goal is to become like him, to look what we see when we see how he lived his life. And verse 7 says, therefore, to you who believe, he's precious. To those who are disobedient, he's the stone the builders rejected. He's become, but yet he's become the chief cornerstone. And not only... There's, there's, a, there's two sides to this. He's beloved and precious to those who believe, but he's this to those who don't and who are disobedient to the word. It says he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Did you ever trip over a rock with your toe? I mean, 
maybe just a table leg or something close to it. But when you stub your toe, whatever your experience has been with that, especially if you just have socks on or slippers or something, and you catch your toe and that nail comes up, I don't know. I've been doing construction my whole life. There's been multiple times where you look down and you think, that nail's probably coming off. When you kick a rock, it's nothing, there's nothing to celebrate <laughs> about that moment. It hurts. And he's saying that's what people are going to experience when they come to Christ and they don't, they don't follow the word. They're, and listen, this is, what he, this is how he describes them. He says, they're a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This is what he says this. They stumble being disobedient to the word. When you come to the word and you're disobedient to the word, you might as well just kick the rock and see how it feels. That's what he's saying. Don't do it. You're not going to be happy. You're going to need to probably repent for some of the things that try to come out of your mouth. Of course, you'll catch them just in time, but they'll try to come out. They stumble on the rock, which is Jesus, the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to those who are simply this, disobedient to the word. James says it very clearly. He talks about the imagery, how you know, a man comes to the mirror and he walks away and forgets what he looks like. It's the same way if we hear the word, but we don't respond to it. We don't allow it to correct us. And in 2 Corinthians 3, we don't have time to go there. If you read it in the Amplified Version, version verse 18, it talks about how the, 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 the word of God is a mirror that we can look into and we can see what's going on with us. My daughter, last night on the couch, we were just sitting there. And she's not feeling well, and so sitting with her and, and um, just chatting, and she, she just comes out of the blue. We're like, we're kind of ask each other dad jokes and stuff like that I can never remember them so don't ask me any of them but I laugh when they're told to me and um if they're funny of course and uh she says what color is a mirror and I thought it was like a you know a riddle I'm like oh this is gonna be good I'm thinking he's like she's like no really like what color is a mirror I'm like oh good this will fit right with my message tomorrow she had no idea what she was doing but I, so anyways, I don't know if she's able to watch I'm trying to figure out how to get her to be able to watch today but anyways what color is a mirror No, it's not clear. You could probably argue, the closest you could do is argue that it's silver, but that's based on the light that's shining into it. If blue light, most of our light is white, so you probably see the silver because it's like a, we would say a true. But essentially, if you, based on my initial, just since last night till now, my conclusions are this. It's the color of whatever you put in front of it. <laughs> whatever you put in, the mirror's job is just to reflect what's in front of it. You put a blue whatever in front of it, it's going to show you that blue. It's, it's just, it's the, it's the, it takes on, in other words. And so you can't fault a mirror for what it shows you. You can't get mad at the mirror because you don't like what you see when you look into it, if you struggle that way. I got over myself a long time ago. I just laugh when I look into the mirror sometimes. It's just easier. It's actually fun. Just don't let anybody see you doing it. No, I'm serious. Oh, man, here's another secret. Just look in the mirror and just give it a big, cheesy smile. <laughs> Nobody's ever done that? No, cheesy. Like, so, yeah, she's done it. Just, just, no, force yourself to do it. You're going to be like, that's just stupid. I'm not going to do it, especially if you're a guy. No, just look in the mirror. It doesn't matter how you're feeling, especially if you're not feeling very great. Just look in the mirror and just give it a big, cheesy smile. Just keep that smile until you can't help but have a real one. It'll, it'll come. Because you're just going to ask yourself, like, what the heck am I doing staring in the mirror with a big Jesus mouth? That'll make you laugh right there if the mirror doesn't do it. But a mirror just reflects what it's, what's looking into it. It doesn't project. It's not a TV screen that can project anything. And the Word of God is called a mirror. Why? When we come to it, it's just going to show us it's a reference point for our life. No need to kick it and stumble over it. Just it says to obey it. If you're disobedient to it, your experience with it will be miserable. But if you follow it, the, the heart of the Father is to build us as spiritual stones on top of the foundation, who's Jesus. Why? To create a building. What does the Bible refer to the church as? A building. Not this building, but a building of believers. It says very clearly in Acts that the Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. That's not he added them to the temple. He didn't add them to the place that they went. He added them to one another. They created a fabric, and he would add people into the fabric of spiritual stones that were being built together. I'm telling you, this is so crystal clear. This world doesn't need a, a newer, bigger, whatever building. It just needs a real group of people that actually love them and want to unite their lives with them. That the enemy can't stop. 
And the enemy knows that, and the, the lost need a place to go where they're just going to be related with, where they're going to be healed and, and brought into friendship. And the, as the loneliness that's over this culture is broken, and they realize, oh, people love me even when I'm not just putting a polished, tweaks, whatever, edited picture up on a, on a screen someplace. They love me for who I really am, with the issues that I really have, with the struggles that I'm facing. Yes, that's the love that Christ, isn't that the love that he showed us? He didn't show us a veneer love on a movie screen. He came and he hung on a cross for us. He provided a, just the actual love that changed our lives. We didn't need a book about love. We needed Jesus. We didn't need a book about salvation. We needed the Savior to come and to do what only the Savior can do. Folks, I feel like we've so settled for the veneer of, of what self-improvement and training and things offer us that we've missed the true grit of the love of Christ, which is to simply take someone who's willing and to let their heart be loved by the one who created them, the one who gave himself for them. When folks encounter that kind of love, they'll drive three hours even though they have no, they could have probably found another church just fine because there's something within you that wants to be in the place where the Lord is is present and his praises are being sung and people genuinely have given their lives to him. There's something that magnetizes people to want to be in that place. That's what this world needs. They don't need more how-to. They just need us to be the living stones we're called to be. And not only that, but to be built together into a spiritual house. This is the purpose of our lives. And I don't know where, how it seems nebulous and it seems like, well, how do I fit in? Begin to build relationships with people, healthy ones, not needy ones that you're in it to get something from them. Ones where you're looking for how can I give to your life by building this bridge. This is what's going to set us apart from the rest of the world. This world is selfish. It's all about self. It's the imagery of how do you look? What do I look like? What do people think about me? It's the opposite of the gospel. The gospel only cares what do... People know about Jesus. How well do they know the one who made them, that died for them, that gave them an opportunity to be healed and delivered? Do they even know him other than just as a curse word? This is what compels us to be built together, not just because we have nothing else to do on a Sunday morning. Disobedient to the word is what causes people to stumble on the rock who's designed for them to build their life upon him. I don't know. Do you ever disobey an instruction manual? <laughs> the words are instruction manual. It's the blueprints for how this building is to be built. It's the word. It's been written. It's been recorded. Jesus modeled it for us beautifully. I love the Chosen series. If you've not been caught up on Chosen, get caught up on the Chosen. It's one of the best depictions of just the way Jesus was so naturally supernatural and loving and the way that he brought heaven to real people on this real planet it was just it's just powerful and it's it's been developing for a couple seasons now and it's we're gonna actually is it friday this coming friday that we're showing the premiere season three i believe did you ever ignore an instruction manual i mean i'm guilty of i'm, I'm gonna read a few did you ever ignore one did you ever not really read one like you skimmed it but you didn't really read it did you not even ever take one out of its clear little baggie that they always come in the bottom of the box? You're like, I know it's in there somewhere, but pretend it didn't come with one. Did you ever do any of those things? I've done them all. I'm most proud of the ones where I intentionally do something wrong. But they almost always, they, you know, you might get to the end, but it's just not quite. There's always something that should have worked a little better than it does. We just have to get to a place where we don't fault the mirror. And I feel like that's part of what has been many of our struggles throughout life. I remember until I met Pastor Von Gerald, like I'd look in the mirror and I'd see who I was supposed to be. And I'd be like, yeah, someday. <laughs> and then Pastor Von put me in a headlock one day and said, no, you're going to do this. And you might not smile at first, but you're going to do it. And um, fought him for a little while, but he was six foot four. It didn't last. It wasn't, wasn't much of a. <laughs> no, physically, he put me in a headlock, squeezed my head, thought I was going to pop. Yeah, most of, most of this generation couldn't handle that. You'd just think, oh, I'd probably go get a lawyer. <laughs> it's true, but you'd be kicking the rock still. I was kicking some rocks in my life, and it left me a pretty sore person. Not sure if I'd, well, no, I'll just leave it at that. I wouldn't be where I am with the beautiful family that I have, much less the church family that my wife and I have. We're so grateful for, for our church family. This holiday season has just been incredible, listening to the children practice and just seeing how folks from other churches, we had Amber here from, Amber Ray from Trinity and Dan down there this morning covering 
children's worship on his own. That's just, that made me smile this morning. That was my morning giggle. Of course, Amber, Amber giggled too. She's here playing keyboard for us, and he's down there managing a Sunday school program by himself. That's good. That's good stuff. Love you, Dan. And, um, but just beautiful people, the network of folks that the Lord has knit us together with, living stones that would have never, ever been possible to our lives. We weren't on the same we weren't in the same, we weren't swimming in the same pool to even be knit together with some of these people that have become the fabric of what our spiritual life is being built into. And I wonder how many people miss that opportunity because they just, ah, it's a little this or it's a little that, and they just don't, as Pastor Vaughn would say, eat the meat and spit out the bones. Like, you know how to do it with a chicken thigh or a drumstick. No one gets mad because there's a bone in the middle of your drumstick, unless it's supposed to be boneless, but you just deal with it. You eat the good part, and you set the part that you're not quite, not that you should ever get ready to eat a drumstick, bone and all, but anyway. I'm trying not to be silly. I'm supposed to wrap up now. I'm supposed to be, you know, behaving myself. I just feel such gratitude in my heart. I don't know, maybe it started at Thanksgiving. I just, I see my natural family. I see my spiritual family. I see what the Lord has in mind for us to become more clear now. We, the class this morning was about having clear vision, and I think Arnold Schwarzenegger taught the class, so... Sorry, you weren't here to see it. Diane was here to see it. It was good, right? That's some good clips. Even had some bleeped out language in there. I was most proud of that. I was like, yeah, good. This, this is my people. This is my, my spiritual stones here. We're, playing, we're being taught by people that have words bleeped out. Sorry if that bothers you. Um, just hopefully you don't watch TV because <laughs> then you'd be a hypocrite. That'd be really bad. Um, Aren't you going to start, that's your cue to start playing the piano, but I'm about to like tank. You, oh, Amber, one, one of you two better start playing the piano. Let's just stand together, just have a moment of prayer. The, the Lord wants to knit us together. I know holidays are hard for some people. They get into a place of feeling like it's lonely and they want to isolate, especially if you battle with depression or anything like that. You just kind of, you hear people say, oh, just leave me alone. And yet the Lord has a plan for us to not be left alone. I think we can all point at times in our life when maybe our, just our gut response would have been, just leave me alone, I'm just dealing with something, I'm just processing, that usually doesn't come out well. Humans left to themselves don't become part of the spiritual home that the Lord wants to build, not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of this world that's just, they don't even know what family is, they can't even define family, folks. Can you imagine being so lost in, in, a, in a place where you can't even put a definition on what is a family? How does God call us his, his family? We're sons and daughters, born again, not of this world's seeds, but of the one who saw in his heart and his mind before time began. He saw a purpose and he saw a result. He saw the blueprint for what he would build. And he wants to use us to fill in those spots to become what we're supposed to become. And so, Lord, this morning we're humbled by the fact that you would choose us. But your word says that we're to come to you, the living stone, but we're to come as living stones ourselves, willing not just to gather in a room, but to be able to be built into something bigger than any single one of us. And Lord, we know it's because you have a purpose to reach people, but we also know it's because you have a purpose to see our lives fulfilled and to see our hearts united so that there's a true unity, Lord, that comes beyond, that just goes beyond the, the shallow what this world is settled for, Lord, it's just so shallow. And Lord, we thank you that there's things that happen in our lives that we don't fully understand, and yet we know you're working something through it. Maybe you're chipping off some edges, Lord. Maybe you're making us so that we'll fit in the right spot in the house that you're building, Lord. But whatever it is that you're doing in our life, we just want to be in that place of heart and mind where, as we sang this morning, we're waiting here for you. Not just here in a room, but on the inside of who we are, Lord, that that patience, the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience and long-suffering, that what it is that you're doing within us, we know there's a time when the world will see what it is on the outside, but for now, we're just trusting you that, Lord, as we wait here with you and for you to finish what you've started, that, Lord, there's a depth of what you're doing that is just so profound and it's beyond what we fully understand. Lord, for those this holiday season, as it even starts to get close, Lord, they're thinking of loved ones who maybe have a habit of isolating or, or 
last minute just backing out because they're just uncomfortable. Lord, I pray that you just give us the insight and the, the know-how, how to bring them in, how to help them know that there's a place for them, that they're loved, that they're accepted by you. Lord, we know that you have great purpose in your heart for us. And Lord, help us to have vision and clarity of, of purpose in our own hearts. Lord, we don't want to be disobedient to this word. We want to follow what it's shown us to do. And Lord, until we find that time when we meet you face to face and we are completely transformed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that Lord, until that moment, we can see marked growth in our hearts and in our lives in the way that you're building us and shaping us and helping us to have more grace, Lord, helping us to have more understanding and more love, more patience. Father, we thank you for these processes and we thank you that you are the one who's working all things together for our, for our good. Because we love you, Lord. There's no one else we can turn to. No one else has the abilities that you have. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for just, just sense that you put your arms around us as a, as a group this morning. Lord, even in worship, as we just sang together, there was a sense that you were putting your arms, your wings, your feathers, whatever, around us, Lord, as a group. That you are protecting us. Father, just now, I'm just being reminded to just lift up. Uh, Pastor David Cordo. Father, we just lift up Pastor Cordo. We thank you that your hand is upon his body. Now we know that, Lord, whatever's going on in his, in his back, in his hip, whatever it is, Father, you are the great physician. You know exactly before MRIs and x-rays were, you were, and you still are. And Father, I thank you for the message that he preaches with such clarity and conviction, and it's your word that he's sowing into the hearts of all of us, Lord, in this fellowship. And we thank you for the gift that is among us when you said that there are gifts given to the church and they are folks who have the heart to evangelize and to see miracles. Lord, you've placed him here. And Father, as the body, as those who've been benefited from his ministry, we now lift him up before you. Father, would you put your hand upon that body? Would you touch those joints, those whatever is going on, Lord? We're just going to not try to figure it out, but we're going to ask you to do what only you can do, Lord. And we trust you with those results because they are permanent and they are quick and they are effective. Lord, do it. We thank you for doing it. You've performed it at the cross, and we thank you for manifesting it now for your glory and for the relief and the comfort brought when your healing hand is upon his body. Father, for Nolia, thank you for her strength and for bringing her through this, this time of caring for, for her husband. And Lord, I just pray refreshment over that household, that there would be a freshness and a lightness there, and that all the pain would be removed in Jesus' name. For your glory, amen and amen. 